Today, I'm speaking with a fascinating woman. She's a technologist, entrepreneur, and visionary. But aside from her impressive resume, her personal story is even more inspiring. And I believe all of us need a bit of inspiration, especially right now. So please welcome Laura Lehman. Welcome, Laura. Hi, Andrea. How are you? <laughs> Good. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, I always start the show with one question. What do you believe? So um, I thought about this question for a little while and I have, you know, I have two answers. One is more kind of day-to-day -day life driven and, you know, one of it, one, one is more spiritual. Um, on the day-to-day -day life grind, uh, what I believe in is that vision drives perseverance. You know, I've overcome many challenges in my young life. And I would say that I'm not interested in overcoming a challenge, in solving a problem, if I don't have a very strong sense of meaning and of where I want to go with it. Um, so that's my first answer. My second answer is that I believe the soul is eternal. I believe that, you know, we live many lives. And I believe that we all, to some degree, have a spiritual calling on this planet. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, times like these, we're in a pandemic, um, are good reminders. Absolutely. So, wow. So thank you. So, so first you would say your passion to be passionate in something yep. is, is, is what is, is a driving force. Yes. And your spirituality. Yes. Um, can you tell, could you tell me a little bit or tell me a lot? Cause I have so many questions. Well, firstly for, for the audience to, to understand and know a bit more about you at the age of 22, yeah. We're diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yeah. And I don't know many people who at that young age had to go through what you endured, nine months of rigorous chemotherapy and your life is, was meant to be very carefree at that point. And there you were having to battle this cancer. Yeah. How did you do it? Oh God. God. Wow. Um, how did I do it? Well, I, I, the, you know, when I think the human body and the human spirit goes into survival mode, I do think that you don't always understand the magnitude of what you're going through. And I certainly didn't. Um, so that was a very good thing. Um, I also think that I was very strong, like physically, I was actually it's very, you know, counterintuitive, but aside, aside from having, you know, a tumor in my chest, I was actually very healthy. And I had a, you know, strong desire to live. And I think that um, had, you know, had I been sick at a time in my life where I was more frail physically or I, I understood the meaning of life, better and I understood better that you know what mortality really means 
I don't know how I would have dealt with it. I see. Wow. So in terms of, at that point, your spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, None. Zero. Really? At that point? N nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. So I think, I don't think that it wasn't that I was spiritual because I had a very strong inner feeling that I was going to survive and that I was meant to have a life and that it was in, you know, this was happening for some kind of a reason. Um, but even though I would never wish to go through anything like this in my life again, I would never say looking back, you know, are you grateful it happened? No, I'm not grateful. I, I always abhor these questions of, oh, well, you must have found, you know, so much gratitude. No, I didn't. I was very, very, very angry. <laughs> um, but, and I still am um, related to treatments I had, but I would just say on the whole that um, I had, you know, I had a pretty privileged and easy life. And I'm not sure that those circumstances really grow spirituality in a person. I also don't come from a spiritual family whatsoever. Um, I come, you know, from a family of atheists, I would say, you know, who have like a love for culture, for art, but I'm, you know, I'm the only kooky spiritual person in, you know, of my background. So I had to kind of develop it myself and not r rely on my upbringing. So was there a, a point or a moment that was an eye-opening or an aha moment in terms of your spirituality? Oh God, that's actually a really good question. Um, you know, I think there's just a few people over time who have kind of uh, mentored me and really helped me see, uh, you know, diversity of meanings in life. Um, you know, there's certainly someone right now in my life I'm close to called, uh, Lena, who's a Reiki healer, who, you know, I've learned a lot from in terms of spirituality, in terms of body awareness, in terms of, you know, mind, soul awareness as well. Um, I think, um, and, but I think I, I think spirituality came to me once I felt like I was out of the woods physically. So, with, you know, the type of cancer I had, I was, um, I was kind of out of the woods three to five years afterwards, because it was such an aggressive cancer that the expectations and the expectation was not that it was going to come back to be to be fair. But the expectation was that if it ever came back, it would come back um, three to five years later. And so I lived, you know, 20 to 22, let's say to 27 in kind of this state of, you know, fear that the, you know, the, this could, this could come back. And I think once I passed the threshold of 27, 28, I kind of started to think, okay, well, what does this all mean? What am I supposed to do with my life? And that was a whole other loaded questions. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, what's striking me is, is the fact that 
you know, you said while you were going through it, you, you were not spiritual. And I'm curious what the difference is now between then when not being spiritual and now how, 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 what's the difference for you in how do you life? Yeah. And how I live life. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, I think that we're all brought up in Western society, partly because of school, to think of life as this very linear experience. And I think that, like, if you think of grades, you think of, and I, I don't mean, I, well, grades too, but I, I mean, like, being in a certain grade, and you're with your friends, and you get to the next grade, and then you go through college, and then everybody, you're you're all kind of supposed to be doing the same things all the time. And what you know, cancer really did was it, it took me out of being with everyone. It really made me an outsider on many levels. And I think that um, I expected to go back to a life that felt linear and I was never able to because I had to somehow integrate my experience. And so, um, you know, it's a really good question. What, how I feel spirituality today. I mean, I think I really feel spirituality around the challenges I feel, whether it's in my career, whether it's in, you know, my health as like long-term side effects, things like that. And I, um, I think I try to draw meaning from experiences and think about how experiences are trying to teach me something even though it's very hard and I get very angry. <laughs> mm -hmm. Where yeah. where the spirituality can can still help can help quite a lot, right? Yeah. But I don't wanna like I'm not but I'm not like waking up, lighting a candle. I, it's just I wish I, I were more methodical that way, but it's just not me. I'm kind of more wild in my <laughs> you know, spiritual. like spiritual experiences. Right. Wow. Um, I'm curious, though, especially now during COVID, uh, people are going through treatments. They're going to hospitals. They're yeah. having to get treatments. And it's yeah. very precarious. Can you sort of speak to knowing knowing what that's like? And Yeah. It's, it, it's very dehumanizing because, you know, when I was... Um, when I had very intense chemotherapy, when I had high-dose chemotherapy, it's called, um, actually, people were only allowed to come see me essentially wearing masks and gloves and pretty much the attire you see today, although it's more extreme um, in hospitals. There are more, you know, I didn't have face shields and things like that. But, you know, I remember not being able to touch someone. Um, obviously when, you know, you needed the most, I remember not being able to see, you know, familiar faces. And I just, I, I, I really think that it's traumatic outside of the physicality of it, outside of, you know, being woken up at night, hearing beeping noises. Um, you know, I hate hospitals. <laughs> like, let me, let me perfect, let me be perfectly blunt about it. I think, one of the things I was reading about that really saddened me, and I, I think it's really something we need to think about collectively, is, you know, people are in the hospital, patients are in the hospital alone. They're not around, they're not around their families, obviously. And so they have no one to advocate for them, 
for them. And so a lot of medical decisions that are being made are not being made probably with their full awareness because they're not able to, you know, self-advocate it. They're very sick and not completely with their families being aware of what's going on. And I think that, I think it's, I just, I really think it's very tough. Um, and I, I really, I really feel for people. And I think that, um, hospitals, I hope that hospitals can be places. I mean, I think everyone has had some experience at some point with a hospital, whether it's with a loved one or, you know, in a per, in a personal experience, I think that I hope that hospitals somehow can be transformed through this pandemic that we're going through right now. Oh, I hope so as well. I, I, I hope so as well. We need to be transformed in that regard. Yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, in terms of transformation, I mean, it, it seems like other countries have been able to use technology to sort of yeah. come and help and, and maintain and, 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 um, battle this, this virus. Um, what's your thought on that and why haven't we? Yeah. Well, I think we are, um, okay. Apple and, and Google is coming out in the next few weeks, actually in May with a, a, you know, encrypted tracing system. So that's going to be working with, you know, the blue, your Bluetooth on your phone. And right. that is actually, I think, very respectful of everyone's privacy in a way, for instance, that countries in Asia are not. Uh, obviously, <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's a very loaded, it, it's very, I think, I think there's no question on a, on a, on a, a larger, from a larger perspective, uh, taking the pandemic aside and you know, tracking people's symptoms and doing it in a way that's um, uh, not uh, not disrupting or not, you know, finding out about, well, respecting people's privacy is what I'm trying to say. Um, and, you know, China is doing it in a way where you're like entering your, your, in, your health information into Alipay. Alipay is the equivalent for us of Amazon Pay. And then it's, just, it's a whole like centralized way of tracking all of their citizens. You know, I can't imagine that people in the U.S. <laughs> would want any of that um, to happen, even though we all do want to know, you know, have we been around anyone who's sick? Are we, you know, do we have to isolate from our families, et cetera? But I, I think like on, on, a, on a bigger note, I, I really believe that Technology can destruct and technology can create life. I, I, like, uh, from, and I'm just talking from a medical standpoint now. Like, I, I really, really believe that. And I think that it's in, you know, everyone's, uh, it's on everyone's onus really to educate oneself and to really understand, for instance, how AI how AI can, you know, benefit a heart patient, how nanotechnology can benefit a heart patient. I mean, there's so much good that can come out of the technology that is being developed. And I also think there, there is, there can be a complete destruction of 
humanity on many levels of privacy of so I, I think you know both are present and I I really and I think this is where the US is so strong I believe that individuals in the US really have the power to voice their opinions I think I hope that this pandemic brings out in people um, like the will to be informed, but to also voice where they want these types of technologies to go because technology companies are, are, you know, can only respond to what the consumer wants at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, well, but what do you see? I mean, in terms of the, you know, everything that you're talking about in terms of AI, I mean, how, how is it going to look like what, if, if we are, I mean, you mentioned China and what they're doing and how they're doing it. What, what do you think the products, I mean, what, just sort of what it's going to look like, what is it going to look like? You so, know, I mean, how will we combat this through technology? Yeah. So I can give you a good ex example, um, more within the medical system, less within COVID tracing per se, because I'm not, um, it's not, I don't really know that much about COVID tracing, except that I think we're all going to learn as it's happening. Essentially, I think the feedback, you know, technology has to be, I mean, it could be developed by 20 developers, but once it, get, it gets into people's hands, it lives in a different way. And I, I think we don't, you know, we don't know how um, tracing technology is going to evolve. Um, and we don't know, I think there's a lot that we don't know. Um, but I think on the AI front, and I, I'm, I'm just speaking now from personal experience with doctors, um, I think that doctors are really overwhelmed. I think that everyone has an experience of going to the doctors and within 10 to 15 minutes having a health issue that needs to be solved because you're being kicked out for another patient coming in yeah. with you know possibly life-threatening illness and i i you know i, I really have love-hate relationship <laughs> with doctors now it's out <laughs> but i do think that ai is very good for instance at collecting and aggregating um, uh, patient symptoms across, you know, when you think about the data of patients, if it's done with an, uh, from an anonymous standpoint or whether it's done through blockchain that uh, is, you know, puts an onus on privacy, you think about the amount of data that can help patients, for instance. So you could, you can imagine in maybe in the next couple of years, even a doctor writing in her, you know, patient uh, like platform, you know, such and such patient has X symptoms. And you could see how the doctor would come up with what the diagnosis is or what mm -hmm. the drugs should be. But you could also see how she would look at what the additional responses are from 
the database, right? Oh, I never thought about this. Well, humans are not, you know, doctors are not, they're very smart, but they're not supposed to be able, you know, to go through data or diseases or symptoms that they may have been, I'm talking about like a, a generalist that they may not be uh, familiar with. So yeah, I yeah. think that there is a huge space actually for AI to lift some of the pressure and the responsibility that doctors are under. And I'm by no means saying that the AI should be, you know, finalizing what our diagnosis is, but I think it can certainly like enhance the level of, you know, knowledge that's out there about patients. And then, you know, once you have those resources, I think, you know, and I, I'm not even going into biology and AI, you know, I'm not going into any of this. I'm just going from a, from a purely like human interaction standpoint. Right, right, right. Just to make that whole process and diagnosis faster. Faster, more accurate. Accurate. Um, I think, yeah. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> I'm wondering, you know, when you were talking about um, your, how we discussed when you were 22 and going through everything and your treatments, um, <clears throat> and now just thinking about the generation that is at home, yeah. in quarantine, having to, you know, find a job or, I mean, yeah. just deal with the world as it stands at that age is quite overwhelming. I mean, I know for family members and friends, it's, it's quite something. So uh, could you shed some light on, <laughs> on that? Um, well, I think what it does, I mean, these times of, you know, crises, um, I have two answers. I think, you know, this crisis is interesting because it's a collective crisis that affects each of us individually, but it's a shared crisis. You know, my crisis when I was 22 is different because it was on an individual level. No one else was going through what I was going through or very few people. Um, so that's, I think the nice thing about this pandemic is that you can call your friend, you know, we can have a Skype call yeah. and actually discuss things and and really be able to connect on what we're both going through so i think that's a positive um i also think that you know these kinds of pandemics can really knock the wind out of you you know you thought you were going to be able to graduate college you thought you were going to be able to pay your loans all of a sudden that's shattered for a lot of people and um i think I think it's just terribly challenging and difficult. And I think that um, you, these kinds of situations definitely make you tap in your inner reserves yeah. and make you develop inner reserves you didn't know you had. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously on a practical level, if you need to make money, you need to make money. I mean, it, there's also a survival aspect of this um, that I think is, unfortunately, you know, you might, you're not going to get your dream job if you need to pay bills tomorrow, right? And I think it's, um, I think it's challenging, but I do think, 
as I said, the, the nice thing about this pandemic is that we're all in it. And I, I, I hope that that's a source of comfort for people. Yes, absolutely. It's so true. I mean, it, uh, yeah, uh, I've, I've certainly learned a lot in my quarantine. <laughs> Me too. Have you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, I, if you don't, then there's something a bit off. Right. <laughs> you hope that we all emerge from this learning something about ourselves and, and humanity. Yeah. And the only thing we can look at, I, I don't know what I was reading yesterday. I don't, I, I'm sure you feel this way. I never know what source I'm reading because everyone's reading media and the news like all day long. It's coming from 20 different places. But I was reading statistics about the number of people who died from the Black Death. I think it was in the 14th century. I hope I'm getting this right. And uh, it was like one out of four people. I mean, wow. like we have evolved with, you, you know, humanity has evolved encountering a lot of these challenges. And so mm. I think that um, I don't know. Yeah. You're positive. That's, that's, that's your, you're, you're hopeful. You're positive. I'm, you know, I like to say I'm positive, but <laughs> I really respect dark emotions. Mm. And I think I, I get, I get, I mean, I get very angry if someone says to me, well, you know, stay positive okay. <laughs> um, because I think that, you know, that's honestly, that's not unfortunately what we're here on the planet for. And clearly life is going to keep n knocking you around yes. oftentimes until you're on your knees. So I, I think that on the whole, we all have to develop some kind of inner fortitude fortitude that can help us deal with challenges but I, at the same time I really think that it's okay to be on your knees and to be really at wit's end about your life about where it's going I think it's okay to be depressed at times and I think that we you know I, I you know I think it's okay to cry I think all these things are okay and sometimes I I think that people are, you know, I think that that's one also of the good things that, you know, social, I think that one of the good things that is coming out of this pandemic is this honesty. We're all kind of stripped, you know, we're stripped from hair color. We're stripped uh -huh. from a lot of those kind of superficial essentials. And I think we can all like be more honest about this. Yeah. And I think that it's a very freeing at the very least. Oh, no, I know. I, I, I agree with you. I think that I think that there, this is an opportunity to really strip it down and and see it for it's you're right. It's not it's not easy. And it's it, just to say be positive is it's not going to cut it. Um, but but at the end, we will we will get through it because, you know what, we have no choice. You know, that's the thing. It's like, you just can't just like pack it up and be like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> uh, you know, we have to keep moving. And, um, 
Exactly. We have to keep on moving. Keep on keeping on. You know, I think that's that's the uh, as hard as it is, and yeah. it's hard. It's it's really challenging. Um, and and we're we're you know we're we're lucky to have these conversations. So hopefully people will be inspired by it, and you know can relate, and and uh, you know we'll all move together. Exactly. But thank you so much, Laura. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed this.